Welcome to Understanding the Bible with Pastor Stephen. This is episode three of season two, Women, Submissiveness, and Religion, part two. Last week, we had talked about uh, the wrong view of women in submission from the religion of Islam and how Islam teaches abrogation, uh, that the newest writings must be followed. Whatever Muhammad wrote on his deathbed is more important than what he wrote at the beginning of the religion. So, in fact, in the Quran, there's lots of contradictions that are literal contradictions. And the Quran teaches that uh, it's okay because whatever he taught last overrides what he taught before. So there's new stuff that contradicts the old stuff and, and it's perfectly fine. Elsewhere in the Quran, it teaches the art of dissimulation, which is deceit. Uh, it's called taqiyya, and that Allah is the best dissimulator. You are to try and be like Allah, so it's okay to deceive people. So the whole point of those two teachings is that the Islamic view of women is submission, that they are not equal, that they are inferior to men, and that's why they must submit. Islam literally means submission, and it's the idea of force and power. And, and that is why uh, Muslims try and take over the world. They use force and power to please their God because their God is forceful and powerful. They, the whole religion came about through war from a man, Muhammad, whose career was robbing people. And so he came up with this idea of it's okay to use force and to subjugate women because that's how he got an army of followers to go out and rob people and rape women and take more wives, etc. And then you even come into uh, subjugating young women where one of his wives was a seven year old child, Aisha, I believe. And he raped her at nine years old and consummated the marriage. And then you read her writings in some of the hadiths. So the whole point of Islam is the wrong idea of submission. And today we're going to try and counter that because that's where the world seems to get most of their views of submission. When, when Christianity, when the church uh, in America brings up the idea of submission, we have to tiptoe around it and walk on eggshells because it's offensive because the first thing that pops up in people's mind is the incorrect view of it. All right. So let me try and explain the correct view, God's view from the Bible of submission. And keep in mind that when I read these verses, there are literally dozens of these verses in the Bible. So you will have to do some research on your own if you're truly curious about this. But number one, and again, there are multiple verses to prove this, but number one, God's design is equality of men and women. Genesis 2, verse 24 and 25 says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, as perfect beings that had no sin, were to be one. They were to be equals. Okay? Then what happened was Eve allowed herself to be deceived she disobeyed God. She twisted what God said, or she accepted the twisting of what God said from the serpent. And so she messed up, right? And then Adam allowed Eve to convince him, and he ate of the fruit as well. He sinned against God. God chose to institute a new authority structure because of sin. 
Sin has brought in some of this stuff that may never have been the plan in the Garden of Eden. So Genesis 3.16, this is God speaking. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. There's your first woman, be submissive to the man, right? It's a hard saying, but it was because of sin. The other thing you have to realize with Adam and Eve in the garden is before sin even entered into it, is why was Eve created? She was created to be a helpmeet for Adam. The definition of helpmeet is not a inferior slave that follows your commands, but an equal person who meets you on the same playing field who is there for the purpose of helping you fulfill your destiny. That's a very strange concept in humanity's mind. Humanly speaking, we see someone who is helping us meet our goals as an inferior. And that's not what was intended here. Eve was a help meet on an equal level playing field to help Adam. And what was Adam's job? To take care of the garden, to name all the animals, and to populate the earth. Well, he kind of needed Eve for that, right? So that was the purpose. Now that we have that, we know that God is about equality. And yet there is some sort of authority or submissiveness that is required between the husband and wife. Let's look at what that means for the church. Well, the church is supposed to mirror that. So the authority structure is supposed to be God first, then the spiritual leaders that God appoints, pastors, prophets, etc. Then the father, then the mother, and then finally the children last. So the church is supposed to mirror that and help show that authority structure. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 29. It says, let the prophet speak two or three and let the others judge. If anything be revealed to another that sits by, let the first, the speakers, hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted. So when one or two or three pastors are speaking or, or disciples or elders in the church or whatever, if someone has something to say, the authority structure in the church is supposed to be let those leaders be quiet and let the other person speak. For all may prophesy one by one. And then verse 32, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets for God is not the author of confusion. So not a bunch of babbling and arguing, right? But one at a time, we let them talk, compare it to scripture, see if what they're saying is the right, but of peace as in all churches of the saints. And verse 34, let your women keep silence in the churches for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience as also saith the law. And then verse 35, and if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church. So first of all, if you have questions about this particular passage, I would recommend you go back to season one, episode number 13, where I ask the question, can women be pastors? All right. And this is from another commentator. Uh, he says, this is in regards to public teaching in the church. And in this, the female part of the congregation was to be silent. They were not to teach the people, men, nor were they to interrupt those who were speaking. 
it is probable that on the pretense of being inspired, the women of that church had assumed the office of public teachers. So wolves in sheep, sheep's clothing. You had women who were not called by God, were not inspired by God, who quite possibly were standing up in the congregation and teaching things that went against God, Jesus Christ's teaching. So one of the things uh, that we need to realize is part of humanity is that we very clearly have roles that men and women naturally take. Take, for instance, in the family, fatherless homes, whatever the circumstance, it's very bad for the children to grow up without a father figure. In fact, there was a study done of a prison population where they found out that 80% of the prison came from fatherless homes. Now, that's not to say a mother can't do a good job. It's not to say that some of those homes didn't have godly mothers. But regardless of how hard you try, the ideal situation is to have a mother and a father in the home. So we know just from society, just empirical evidence, the fact of life is that having a father in the home helps the children. It is important, regardless of whether or not the father is a good father. But then you add Christ into the mix. Now, if you have a father who's following Christ, now your odds are even better that you will end up making right choices in life. Why should not the church exhibit that as well? Obviously, if if we go to a church where women are pastors and women are teaching men and exerting authority over men, then it gives the idea to young Christians and to even young children that men don't have that authority in violation of what God says. And that causes problems as they grow up seeing that men don't have a certain role in the church or in the home. And we have to understand that men and women were created with different roles, different purposes, whether we like it or not. So question for you, if any of this bothers you so far, evaluate yourself. Why do you, or why do I take offense at hearing what we all know to be in our very nature? Women are naturally different than men. They are not built the same to be strong and muscular, although some can be. They are in touch more with their emotions than men are in general. I'm not speaking 100% across the board because everybody's different. But generally speaking, you would be a fool to look me in the eye and say that men and women have the exact same emotions and they're always in touch with their emotions and and men and women are both nurturing the same way towards children. That's just BS, and you know it is. So the question I have for you again is, if you're offended, if this bothers you to hear these things, why? Why does it offend you to hear the reality, the truth, about your very nature as a male or a female? And for God to put it in the Bible and to acknowledge, yes, men and women are different, and therefore men and women must have different roles in life. I, I think the reason we find offense at that is only because of our society. I think society has conditioned us to be offended by the truth. And especially when it comes from God and we say the Bible says, and that just ticks people off. 
because, well, that's not right. Men and women are equal and women can do everything that a man can do. And I mean, haven't you heard that? So this requires a lot of introspection as to why we feel a certain way when we hear truth. So let's hear a little bit more truth. First Corinthians 11, starting in verse three, but I would have, you know, that the head of every man is Christ. That's the hierarchy I was talking about, right? And the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman that prays or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman is not covered, let her also be shaved. But if it is a shame for a woman to be shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not from the woman, but the woman from the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, remember the helpmeet, but the woman for the man. First Corinthians 11. Read that. Think about it. The purpose of God creating Eve. Where did Eve come from? She was taken out of the man. She was created to help the man. If you violate that nature, there's something wrong with that. If you fulfill that nature, you should feel good about that. But we in society, American society, put down women who fulfill that nature, who submit to their husband, who do everything in their power to elevate and help their husband in society and community on his job in the house. And this society looks down on women who are homemakers and care for their husband in that way, who show their love in that way. So again, the chain of command here is God first, then the spiritual leaders, then the fathers, then the mothers, and then the children. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. The people who have authority over you in God's eyes are held responsible for their decisions in your life. Now, this doesn't take away personal responsibility to obey God. Acts 5.29, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. If the people in authority over you tell you to do something that violates God's law, something that is a sin, then you shouldn't do it. God holds you 100% responsible for your actions and your words, but he also holds 100% responsible the people who had authority over you and told you to do those things. 100% and 100% with God equals 100%. God does math different. (laughs) His thoughts are higher than ours. His ways are better than our ways, right? So you have to understand that you obey, you submit as long as it does not violate the Bible. So what does that look like in a believer's home? Well, submission is mutual to equal people choosing to delegate authority. That could very well be that, you know, maybe the wife is better at math and finances than the husband is. And the husband's like, look, I'm going to go out. 
I'm going to bring home the bacon. I'm going to do all these manly things. And, um, at home, can you pay all the bills? You know, we'll, we'll have a joint account or whatever. And, and, and I'll put my paycheck into there to pay the bills and you just handle things, you know, and tell me how much money is left. That would be delegating authority where now the woman has authority over the finances. Now I'm not saying it has to be that way. I'm just picking one, one topic. But when you are as equals decide to do that, the man is actually submitting to the woman, right? It doesn't mean that the man has to make all the decisions, but you have to decide together on where those decisions are to be made. And if you cannot decide, then it falls on the man as the God given authority in the home. And that's where women are to be submissive. If you can't come to an agreement, so what this means is it, it requires prior discussion and agreement. And this is why so many marriages fall apart and why you need marriage counseling. And, you know, some pastors will require you to do marriage counseling before you even, he even marries you. Because if you don't have a prior discussion and agreement about these things as equals, then you're going to have problems. It's a very strange concept to agree to submit, but... I got to tell you, when I did the the series on sex and submission, man, that was something else because in the BDSM community and, and other sexual preferences, um, there's a lot of discussion about submission and even signing contracts and deciding what is okay when it comes to sex and what your safe words are and things like that. The prior discussion and agreement on who's going to be submissive and in what scenarios is viewed as perfectly okay because it's consensual. But somehow in the rest of the husband and wife relationship, it's not okay. See, and that, and that's where our society has screwed up. We'll take some things from the Bible about equality and submission and, and consent. And we'll do those things only when it pleases us when it comes to sex but when it comes to finances, we won't. Why? That's just you bucking God's authority right there. So you have to understand that this submission overall, the process requires submission to God's authority. And that means once you have reached that consensus and once you guys as a husband and wife have gone together and said, Hey, we do agree that we will try and follow God and the wife will try and submit to the husband then acting it out requires you to do it when you don't like it or it's not submission. You aren't submitting to authority if you only do it when it's your idea and you want to. But when it's not your idea and you disagree with the authority, you're not going to submit and you're going to argue and cause a problem, then that's not true submission. The whole concept of submission requires you to submit when you don't want to, that's hard. What does not submitting do to the family? I want to look at that real quick because this is something people don't think about. If the wife chooses not to submit, let's, let's take a simple example of, uh, you're out at a party. The husband, you know, looks at the wife and for whatever reason he says to the wife, Hey, we need to go home. And the wife is like, no, I don't want to. I want to stay here. I want to, I want to drink. I want to hang out with our friends. What options does the husband have at that point? I see it as the, the husband has two options. He can give in to the wife or he can tell her no and he can force her to go. 
if the husband tells the wife, you and I need to go, he's made that decision, right? Now, if the wife disagrees with that and he's, and she says, no, I don't want to go. And the husband says, okay, fine, we'll stay. Forgive me for being crass here, but that's being pussy whipped. And, and men, you can attest to this women. If you're listening to this, I I'm, apologize if you don't like that term, but you ask your man this, what does that mean to be pussy whipped? And he will tell you that men talk at work and in the locker room and even at church. But at church, they might just leave off the first part and say he's whipped, right? Because they're trying to be nice. But men will tell you that we talk about this. We know which men are whipped and which men are actually men. And we don't have respect for the man that's whipped. So the non-submissive wife, if the husband gives in to her in public, he loses his reputation and his character and his ability to have any sort of sway among men. Men understand that he is the submissive one and we naturally do not respect that period. That is natural. That is innate among believers and unbelievers alike. Ask any man, what's it mean to be pussy whipped? And they'll tell you, they don't have respect for that man. He's not a real man. Do you as a believing wife want to do that to your man? That's what being non-submissive does. All right. Now here's the other option. If the wife is non-submissive in public and the husband says, no, we're going. And he forces the wife to leave either with emotions or angry words or by grabbing her by the arm and dragging her out. Right. Well, however he does it, that is viewed as being bossy, toxic masculinity. And it is not accepted in our society. So a non-submissive wife if the man chooses to take his authority and use it, then you are forcing him to once again, look bad and evil because you're not being submissive. A non-submissive wife leaves a man two options that make him lose respect in society and look evil. The opposite of good. Why would you do that to your husband? Do you really love your husband if you want him to lose respect in society among his peers? What is being non-submissive do to the wife? Well, it makes the wife the authority. So it switches her roles from what God wants. Uh, it causes the wife to have more responsibility or consequences because now that she's assumed that role, the Bible says that when you are the authority, that you become responsible for the spiritual well-being of the other person. Now that also means that now she has an excuse to be on a power trip or to have pride. You'll do what I say. Or if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Who wears the pants in this family, right? You've heard all that stuff before, right? Well, that's actually a distortion, a perversion of the way God intended it. So what does that do to the children in your family? Well, it gives them a dysfunctional view of the Bible. They're going to start thinking that the Bible doesn't really mean what it says. Or that was a cultural thing. When I read stuff in the Bible, you know, it changes with culture. Society's changed and we can't do that anymore. So now who's the authority in your children's life? God, the Bible? No, you've changed it so that society is the authority in their life and they can disregard scripture. Do you really want to teach your children that? So not having the proper equal submissiveness in your marriage destroys the husband's masculinity and respect 
provides an excuse and a power trip for the woman and gives her more consequences for her actions. God will judge, right? And it causes children to grow up with a dysfunctional view of the Bible and who's the real authority. So the conclusion is this. Women are to be submissive as equals. We're both created in God's image. This means in the home and in the church, and it means a mutual agreement and respect for each other. You have to consciously plan to submit when it's not convenient, when you don't want to. That means you guys have to talk about it ahead of time. You know, a simple thing my wife and I just talked about as I was going through this was when it comes to things that don't really matter, like say we're at a party and and I want to go and she doesn't, and there's no dire need to get out of there for whatever reason, then we're just going to submit to each other based on paper, rock, scissors or rock, paper, scissors. And we thought it was funny, but the other day we actually did it in the car, you know, Hey, do you want to go here? No. Well, all right, let's do rock, paper, scissors, boom, boom, boom. And whoever wins, wins the argument for things that are inconsequential. So, you know, we tried to do it in fun ways so that we both have equal opportunity and help each other. And then when it comes to major things, we've discussed them ahead of time, like finances and stuff. So we already know who's going to make the decisions and there's less chance for arguments that way. And yet that way we actually have submissiveness in our marriage. And don't forget that men have an obligation as well. So we'll cover that next time. But uh, first Peter three, um, I would encourage you to read that starting in verse five, but it says, likewise, ye husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. There's a whole sermon on that. And then there's another one in Ephesians five, starting in verse 22, it says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So there's very clearly responsibilities for men, but this was supposed to be about women and submissiveness, right? And then lastly, when a woman is properly submissive, happiness and joy comes from fulfillment in your life through God. Ultimately, that means fulfilling our natural desires that God gave us without perverting them. Again, refer back to Adam and Eve, both before what were Adam and Eve created for and after the sin. What did God say were the consequences? So if you're mad at at what God says about all this stuff, be mad at Eve. Don't be, (laughs) don't be mad at your husband, you know, for what happens thousands of years ago. We have to understand that by obeying God, even if we don't like it or obeying God, when it runs opposite of what society says, you will actually find peace and happiness from God. So two references that I'd recommend you to study. If you want to look at this, just read through Colossians chapter three and first Corinthians chapter seven to see more of what God says about this. And until next time, may God bless you.